So y'all missed the first service, um, but I printed out my notes, and honestly, between 9 o'clock and whenever I got up to the pulpit, my notes disappeared, and I was a little flustered, so you missed that. But then I remembered it's on my computer, <laughs> so it wasn't that big of a deal. But it was a little, it was weird. I don't know what else, it was just weird. I didn't know what my notes were, but it's okay. Um, if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Psalm 23. That'll be our text for this morning. Um, I will be reading from the NIV. Uh, years ago, I preached on Psalm 23 here, and just focusing on David's personal relationship with God. And one of the things that's funny is at the time I was learning Hebrew, and it was before the NIV righted itself. Um, this is like for super biblical scholar geeks like myself, I guess, or something. But like the NIV used to also join in with the cool kids and say, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And that was wrong, right? But they've righted themselves, so we're using NIV this morning. Um, Psalm 23 reads, The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his namesake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the blessing of knowing you, of being known by you. Lord, we thank you for the blessing of you being our shepherd and our king. We thank you for the blessing of you being our provider, you being our protector, you being our guide. We thank you for the blessings that you pour on us. Lord, all of us in this room, our cup overflows with your love, with your mercy, with your abundance. Lord, we thank you now for this song that's become a prayer. And we pray that through it and through David this morning that we can learn how you want us to pray. In your holy and precious name, amen. Amen. So what's interesting about this is that when the first time I preached on this, I was really, really stuck with this idea of how this is a song, right? The Psalms are songs, right? It's not something new. It's not something revolutionary. But what was really, really fascinating to me was that this is a song that became scripture that's become a prayer and it's lasted for thousands of years, right? To me, that's incredible. Like, this sermon might be okay, but no one's going to be talking about it thousands of years later, right? But that's what we do with these psalms. And the other thing I was struck by with this is that it's probably the most famous psalm. For those of us who grew up in the church, at some point, you memorize this, either through like a camp contest or because your parents had to, or your Sunday school teachers had to. What I was loved about this psalm is that Christians and Jews love it. We love it so much we use it at weddings, we use it at funerals, we use it at church celebrations, we use it as prayers, right? The other thing I love about this psalm is that for, I don't know, thousands of years, right, um, it's also inspired, someone's texting me, that's exciting, it's also inspired, right, artists. For thousands of years, it's inspired all sorts of artists, right? Artists like Bach, but also Biggie, right? They were all inspired by Psalm 23. The other thing that's fascinating about this is that David writes this psalm about the God he knew, 
I was really, really struck with the personal nature of this psalm, right? 23 times, or 17 times in Psalm 23, um, in my translation anyway, like in NIV, I think too, 17 times David uses personal pronouns of I, me, and mine, right? And to me, that's significant. In fact, he opens the psalm, right, with God's personal name. He actually uses his name Yahweh, right? And that's important, right? Because for example, in my life, I know if you call me Henry, you either don't know me, or you knew me like before college, which is for me is a long time ago, right? So that's the only two things, right? If you call me Hank in a weird way, that's become like more familiar, right? I'm like, oh, they know me, right? It's the same thing that David uses here with God. He doesn't start off saying, you know, this is who God is because what he's done, right? He could have said Yahweh Jireh, my provider, right? He could have said Yahweh, the one who'll never leave me or forsake me. He could have said Yahweh, the one who'll always be there for me. He could say Yahweh, the one who forgives my sins, but he just begins simply with the name Yahweh. And I think that's very, very significant when we look at the psalm. It's significant because David had this special union with God. I feel like after years of looking at John's special relationship with Jesus, it's now inspiring to find out that it wasn't just John, right? It's really, really amazing that God actually desires to have a personal union and relationship with every single one of us, right? Well, the beauty of Psalm 23 is simply this. David starts off calling God by his first name because they had a personal relationship. One of the most um, defining, I would say, passages in the Bible comes when David gets in a little trouble. He sins greatly um, for, for counting the census, right? It's one of the few times in all of Scripture that someone sins and God gives them options, right? It's, it's amazing. Like, I was like, God, we need to work on this. When I mess up, I want options too. But David gets options, right? And the options are simply like the angel of death is coming. Uh, you could run for your enemies or really you could just trust me. And David's like, mm, yeah, I'm going to trust God, right? And that's the one he picks. And, and after he goes through, you know, the pain and the suffering, the consequences of his reactions, something phenomenal happens. It's a scripture that for years I think we just, we just gloss over, right? But I think it's one of the greatest, most defining Themes or, or definitions, maybe, most defining definitions. It's one of the most clearest definitions of worship that we get in all of Scripture. You see, because David goes and God says, you know what, have a praise service. Build a temple for, or build, a, build an altar for me and go and do it in this land that I show you. And David goes, right? And what's fascinating is this guy named Ornan. Ornan's a Jebusite. The Jebusites were people who were actually in Jerusalem before the Jews got there, right? So Ornan the Jebusite sees David. The Jews have conquered all the land. He sees his king marching towards him. And Ornan is like, oh my gosh, the king is coming to my house. The king is coming to my land. And David gets there and David's trying to be, you know, prim and proper, but also humble. And Ornan says, what are you, what are you doing here, king? And David says, God has called me to, to build an altar here. And Ornan says, oh, my king's going to choose my land to build an altar? Whatever you want, you can have it, right? And David then gives us one of the most beautiful definitions of worship. And David says, Ornan, I will not give to my God that which costs me nothing. That's worship. We make worship all the things it's not, right? And David says, I will not give to my God that which costs me nothing. Why is this significant? It's very, very significant because biblical scholars years later started looking at this area and they found out three things. They found out that the same area where David built the altar, that's where Abraham and Isaac happened. I will not give to my God that which costs me nothing. They found out also that later on when David's son decided that I'm going to build the temple of God and Israel was in all its glory, 
guess where that temple happened to be? Same area. I will not give to my God that which cost me nothing. And then years later, after that temple fell, there's this guy named Jesus showed up. And when Jesus went to Calvary Street, guess where it happened? Close to that same spot. Why I will not give to my God that which cost me nothing. David had a personal relationship with God, and that's what we see all throughout this psalm. The second thing that's fascinating to me about this psalm is that David then starts pointing out two things that he really knew about, that he understands, that he sees in his God. David knew what it was like to be a shepherd. And David was learning what it's like to be a king. And when you go throughout this passage, you'll see those are the two things he chooses, how to be a shepherd and how to be a king. And when he looks at his God, he says, oh, my goodness, God is my shepherd. When he looks at his God, he says, my goodness, God is my king. And why is that significant for us? It's significant for us because all of us in this room might need God to be a protector, might need God to be a provider, my need God to be the one who never leaves us or forsakes us. My need God to be the one who refreshes our soul. My need God to be the one who redeems us. My need God to be the one who carries us. My need God to be the one who gifts us hope. My be God to be the one who gives us compassion. Everything that you need God to be, He's willing to be for you to bring you into the kingdom. David only knew about shepherds. That's what he knew about when he gave that to God. God says, David, you think you're a shepherd? I will be your shepherd. David got exalted as king. And while he's learning as king, God says, look at me. I will be your king. And David shows all of us that whatever we've been through in this life, if we give it to God, he will use it for his glory. And even greater than that, he will teach you through what you're going through that he's always there. David talks about God being personal to him, God being his shepherd, God being his king. I love Psalm 23. You know, I said I grew up here, you know, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And I don't think of myself as a great biblical scholar, but at nine years old, I said, that's wrong. Because I want all the time, right? That can't be right, because God, if God's perfect, right, that, that, somebody wrote that wrong. I remember saying that to my Sunday school teacher, and I'm like, what is wrong with you? And I was like, I don't know, fix the scripture. And I got to seminary, and they're like, well, actually, in the Hebrew, it does mean we shouldn't lack. And I'm like, well, that makes more sense. It makes more sense. Because when we grew up hearing, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, we then, right, internalize our desires as things that are bad. We then start making it about us and not about him. Because it's about what I shall not want. There's me trying to not want. But if we understand it's I will not lack anything, we know that the only way we don't lack anything is through God. He's the one who fills us physically, emotionally, spiritually. He's the one who's our God. He's the one who fills where we lack. David says, God provides for me that I lack nothing. And that's something that we all always need to hear. There's no point in your life that you don't need to know that God will provide. There's no point in your life that you don't need to know that God will protect you, that God will carry you through. David says, God is my peace. He talks about refreshing my soul. David knows that his personal God is the only one that can touch the deepest parts of him. Is the only one that can utter the words that he can't even utter. Is the only one that can satisfy his soul. There's so many of us in the room this morning that need God to refresh our souls. There's so many of us in the room this morning that are just tired. 
There's so many of us in the room this morning that are fighting and we don't even know what we're fighting because it doesn't seem like it'll end. Let God refresh your soul. Let God refresh your soul. Let God refresh your soul. David knew that it was only God who could refresh his soul. And then David gets into the protection of God. How amazing it is that as we go through this life, there's nothing we should fear. So many of us have this Christianity as defined by our house and our picket fence and our two and a half kids. Still trying to figure out how you can have two and a half kids, but they can. So many of us, we're in central Pennsylvania, so there's a fun one. So many of us have made Christianity about living in our silos, right? Like we build it up, we protect it, we build up to see how high we can go. But here's the story, my sisters and brothers. God doesn't want you to build up silos. We're not called to fear the world. For he who lives in us is greater than this world. We serve a God who's overcome this world. We serve a God who says the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. We serve a God who looks at you and says, you are the light of the world we cannot be defined by fear because fear paralyzes fear holds us back fear takes our light and put it under a bushel God calls you into the world to bring healing to bring reconciliation to bring love to bring compassion we have to be guided by God not because he protects us from the evil but knowing that he protects us to send us out so many of us, it's just, God, protect me, protect me, protect me, when all of us need to be walking through the darkness, walking to the brokenness, walking to the struggling and the suffering, because we are already protected. You're already protected. You have to go. And then David ends with one of my favorite verses in all of Scripture. As a kid, I struggle with this one too, right? Because it says, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And sometimes I don't feel like God's goodness does follow me all the days of my life. Then I dug a little bit deeper. When I realized is the love that David is speaking of, the Old Testament people call it hesed. The New Testament people call it agape. It was this idea that you might not feel it, but God's love is in action right now. You might not feel it, but God is working together for your good. You might not feel it, but God is carrying you through. That's the kind of love that God has. You know, and this idea of follow, most of us understand that as a shadow. But sisters and brothers, our God is not interested in being your shadow this morning. Some of us are struggling. We say, we don't know what God's love feels like, and I just can't wrap my arms around it. Stop thinking of God's love as a shadow because David was also what? A warrior. And the word that David uses for follow in the Hebrew is called radaf. And David says, God's love that's always working for my good will radaf me. It will chase me down until I'm captured. God's not interested in your shadow, but he's interested in your heart. And God will not give up until he chases you down and captures you. That's the God who loves you. That's the God we serve. That's the God David knew. And that's the God he talks about in Psalm 23. And what's fascinating to me is that Psalm 23 then can teach us how to pray. The first thing you can learn when you're thinking about how to pray is that prayer is indeed personal. David calls God's personal name because he knows God. He spends time with God. David uses God's personal name because he realizes the salvation, his salvation wasn't a one-time thing. A lot of us look at salvation like it's a one-time thing, but our own lives show us it's more than that. Because all of us in this room can say what? God has saved me. 
God is saving me. God will save me. Salvation is never a one-time thing. When Jesus is your Savior, it's past, present, and future. Amen? And that's what David is holding on to. But the thing about being personal with God is that we have to learn how to be vulnerable. We have to learn how to be honest with God. One thing I love about the Psalms is there's nothing you felt before that hasn't been expressed in the Psalm. For example, Psalm 139 is one of the most beautiful Psalms in all of Scripture, right? It's about how God always is there no matter what. We can't run away from God. If, and David even says, if I make my bed in hell, you are there, right? It's this beautiful Psalm. It's about how God, God formed us in our mother's womb. And when I was a kid, I found out they were talking about bones. And I'm like, you have over 200 bones in your body and there's billions of people in the world. How does God know all those bones, right? And my friend was like, what about hair? And I stopped. <laughs> psalm 139 is about how God perfectly knows us. Yet in the middle of this Psalm, towards the end, David all of a sudden goes from God loves me, God knows me, God's amazing to God, you need to help me kill my enemies and your enemies too. And you're like, David, how do we get here? You know, like we were just waxing poetic about how good God is. Now we're killing people. Like, how did this happen? I think the lesson from David, though, is that we have to be vulnerable. We have to be honest with God. There's nothing you can say that God hasn't helped people with before. There's nothing you can say that God hasn't healed before. There's nothing you've done that God's going to be surprised at. But vulnerability is the key to a good prayer life. Vulnerability is the key to personal prayer. Two Saturdays ago, I was sitting uh, um, on my couch, which I like to do on Saturdays. Um, I was watching college football, which I also like to do on Saturdays. <clears throat> and I got a text message from my, one of my best friends. And it was just like, hey, have you heard about Tim? And I was just like, oh, what do he do now, you know? And he's like, no, 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 you need to call because you, you need to call. And I was just like, this is serious. In the next five minutes, I found out that my friend Tim Becker, who I had gone to high school with and college with, I found out he passed away within the hour of when I called. And I was shocked, right? Because this is someone who has been amazing to see transformation in his life. This is someone who went from life of the party to a monk, like a legit urban monk. You know, like he went from like everybody do everything together to I will spend my time with one person and one person for three years. And that's how God called me to do. Unbelievable transformation. Tim's also, because he's a monk, he's off the grid. So it made it hard to find stuff online. So I'm going through online. And, and a couple hours later, I had another friend online say, oh, man, did you hear about Takuma? And I was just like, nah, this can't be. And my friend Takuma was actually one of the five people that I've kept in touch with for 20 years since high school. Um, we had just talked, I would say, that week because he was going to Columbia. And it was funny because he was going to Columbia for vacation. He's like, you went to Columbia. What did you do there? I was like, mm, I went for a missions trip, not to seem all holy and stuff, but you're going for a different reason. Um, but later on, in looking through his profile, I found out that my friend Takuma had also died. No, weeks ago, I knew I was going to pray on, uh, preach on prayer. And one of my struggles is like, what do I tell people about prayer? Like, there's people who've been Christians longer than I've been alive. Like, what am I going to tell you about prayer? And this last month has been a whirlwind where God says, you know what? Prayer has to be personal. Tell me about your hurt. Tell me about your sadness. Tell me about your broken heart. There's a, a young lady I, I helped mentor during her time at Messiah. They didn't know any of this was happening. And, and she actually 
send me a song. It's just like, hey, um, um, Hank, you, you got to check this out. I was just like, millennials, what do you got? And, and she sent me this song by a, a young guy from Chicago. I think his name is Jonathan McReynolds. And, 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 and what's funny is I listened to that song all that Saturday, and it was such a healing bomb to me. The words of that song, I, I would have it. Oh, I, I do have my computer. I forgot. I, didn't, I forgot I had this first service. But the words of that song was him just repeating this, right? May your struggles keep you near the cross. May your troubles show that you need God. May your battles end the way they should. And may your bad days prove that God is good. And may your whole life prove that God is good. That song became my prayer to God because I needed him then. And it was actually a blessing and a glory to go to Tim's homegoing. Very different service, but we got to sing him into heaven. And it was beautiful and it was healing. But you want to pray to God, you got to get vulnerable. Because where you're weak, that's where he's strong. May your struggles keep you near the cross. May your troubles prove that you need God because all your battles will end the way they should and all your bad days can only prove what? That God is good. That God is good. That God is good. So prayer has to be personal. But prayer also has to be a conversation. So many of us, when we think of prayer, we kind of pray like um, almost like the grown-up Santa's list, right? It's just like I go to God, I, I, I tell him my A, B, C, D, right? I go to God, I tell him I'm struggling with this, 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 and this, you know? I need forgiveness for this, 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 and this. And I'm all for lists. Let's help you get stuff done. But here's how I want you to think about prayer. Think about some of your most important relationships. So I thought about my wife. I thought about my daughters, Right? If my conversations with my wife and my daughters looked like how I used to pray, would they be really relationships? Because what happens in conversation? You have to do what? Listen. If you're always talking, that's not a conversation. You have to listen. And I think for those of us who like to talk, when we think about prayer, we have got to get in the habit of quieting and resting in the presence of God. Some of us, that's hard to do. So one of the things I've learned is just take one thing that God promised and think about that and dwell in his presence with that. Think about God is good. Think about God is love. Think about God is compassion. Think about God will never leave me or forsake me. Sometimes I take prayers from scripture and I just repeat that over and over. Lord Jesus Christ, son of David, have mercy on me. Or God, I don't know what to do, but I'll keep my eyes on you. We have to learn to listen. If you really want to pray, you have to learn what it's like to rest in God's presence. And you can't rest in God's presence if you're talking all the time. We have to learn to be quiet and to not fear the quiet, but to listen to the Spirit's voice. Amen? Prayer has to be a conversation. Prayer also then comes as an invitation. And this has blown my mind for two decades now, the God of this universe spoke the world into existence. The God of this universe spoke the world into existence, but he desires and invites you to have a conversation with him. That should be amazing and mind-blowing that the God of this universe only wants to hear from you. Is that how we approach prayer? You know, I grew up in um, a church, and we used to have a Friday night program for kids all over the neighborhood. And, and, and it was funny because this happened every Friday for years. I went to this for years. And, and one of the youth leaders would always get up. And this is early 90s, so a dollar was a lot of money back then. 
he would pull out a dollar. And he said, who wants a dollar, right? And, you know, the, the regular kids, you know, would raise their hands, right? Some of us who are a little bit shrewd would be like, okay, cool, walk up and snatch the dollar. <laughs> because an invitation is only good if it's accepted. And I think we need to start looking at prayer as accepting God's invitation for us to dine with him, for us to connect with him. God's inviting you this morning. Have a conversation with me. Listen to me. Be real with me. But our invitation is only good if you accept it. And the last thing in my prayer is simply this. It grows your faith. It grows your trust. It grows your dependence. It grows your relationship with God. When I was younger, you know, some people used to say, prayer changes things. I never was, easy, I never was good with that. I, I couldn't figure out why. And part of the reason I think is I think we've made prayer sometimes to be the fourth member of the Trinity. And that doesn't really work, right? And we reduce prayers to some kind of formula. It's like if I pray like this and this and this, I got all my bases covered. I remember when I was in middle school, it was all about acts, right? Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. I remember I would hear people pray and I'd be like, ooh, I want to pray just like you. None of that's personal, none of that's real, none of that's invitational, none of that's conversation. But here's the thing, it's not prayer that changes things. It's God that changes people. It's God that transforms. Prayer is just your invitation to the seat to talk to him and to hear from him. Prayer doesn't change things, God changes things. What prayer does is have that conversation and then improve your faith, improve your trust, improve your dependence, improve your relationship with God. So sisters and brothers, that's my invitation this morning. Be personal with God, be real. Talk to him, but also listen. Accept the invitation. Don't just pray when you need to or when you're struggling with something. Make it a part of your normal every day. And then know that it's not prayer that changes things. It's our God that changes things. Know that it's not about how you pray or what you say or how perfectly you say it. God just wants to hear from you. He wants to hear from you in your voice. We're going to do something for the closing prayer before we transition to the, to the um, communion. So we started off looking at Psalm 23 as a song that became a prayer. Jonathan McReynolds also has another song that's really blessed me in the last couple of weeks, and it's called Lover of My Soul. So I thought it'd be cool to take this song and, and make it our prayer this morning. And how we're going to do this, Sister Idachas beat me to it, but how we're going to do this is everyone's going to stand. Keith is going to put the lyrics on the screen, and we're going to pray this together as a congregation. Because just like it's important for us to be quiet before God, I think there's also something the early saints get that we sometimes miss. They prayed some of these songs together and said it out loud, and you hear not only your voice, but the voice of the congregation. So let's pray together. What I lack... Lord Jesus Christ.